today we're going to talk about making your games replayable. Hey everyone, welcome to the 53rd episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore, and we also have an open community Discord. I'll leave a invite link in the show notes. Lastly, I want to mention that the weekend of April 1st through the 4th is Ludum Dare, and I will be streaming the entire competition on my Twitch, that's twitch.tv slash underscore. If you're unfamiliar with Let em Dare, it's a 48-hour game jam competition uh, where you have to make an entire video game in 48 hours. So come tune in to that the weekend of April 1st and uh, watch me make an entire video game live. It's usually a pretty <laughs> demanding process, so uh, I'll need all the cheering on I can get. Anyways, with the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners and they send in a submission and it's voted on the community as to which one I read live on the show. It's intended to be like a 15 to 30 minute exercise uh, that kind of has to do with the themes of the show. Episode 52's Game Dev Challenge was to identify a small piece of polish in a game that you've played that you suspect was an easy thing to do but goes a long way into improving the game. Remember episode 52 was about polish and specifically like budget ways to polish your game. And yeah, this Game Dev Challenge had lots of good submissions with a lot of high scoring, high voted posts. But there can only be one and the winner is defrag defrag's post says one polish item i like is when a significant button in a mobile or touch-based app has a build-up phase before triggering for example in a turn-based game the player may have to press and hold the end turn button for a few seconds before the game accepts the button press while the button is held down the player is shown a progress bar filling or perhaps the button changes color or sizes while also making a charging up sound This indicates to the player that they are invoking a significant action and gives them a chance to abort the action if the touch was accidental. This goes a long way to reduce execution errors as opposed to decision errors for players using touch, which can be notoriously hard to be precise. I think this is a super accurate post by Defrag, and he excellently identifies um, how exactly this little piece of polish really improves the game. On mobile strategy games, for instance, you want the player's success to depend on their decision-making skills and not necessarily their execution skills, especially on tiny phone screens where you might accidentally touch things you didn't mean to. Having this delay and build-up gets rid of that problem, but also having that little bit of feedback with the pulsing button or the growing button or the charging noise gets rid of that doubt that the player might have, um, that they might be wondering if they're touching the button at all or if the game's working. The build-up basically solves two issues. 
It reduces execution errors while also not making the game feel like the buttons are really laggy, and it just makes the player absolutely sure that they're clicking the thing they want to click. So yeah, congrats to Defrag for winning the episode 52 game dev challenge that does now make Defrag the all-time leader in game dev challenge wins with five... So congrats to him. This one was well-earned. As I said, there was lots of highly voted posts that uh, were also really good. I hope we can carry that momentum into episode 53's Game Dev Challenge. For episode 53, I want you to take a linear game and add some replayable elements to it. You might want to look at roguelike elements, for instance, for inspiration. Later in this episode, we're going to talk about what roguelikes are and kind of just general replayability strategies. And yeah, there are some games that I think could have been made more replayable had replayability been a higher priority. So it should be cool to see what you guys come up with. If you want to join into the Game Dev Challenge, all you have to do is go to the community Discord. There's an open invite link in the show notes. And go to the Game Dev Challenge section. Write your post there, and the community will vote on it. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's get on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is about how to design a game that is replayable. And I think replayability is pretty self-explanatory as far as what it is, but basically we want to design a game that has more than a one-time use for its content. We want to design a game that is fun and interesting on additional playthroughs. And I guess we should start with the question of, do we actually want to make our game replayable? Of course, it's something nice to have, but everything comes with a cost, so the first question you should ask yourself is, is it necessary? If you are targeting a small and confined indie storytelling game that's maybe only four or five hours long, then maybe replayability is not that important of an aspect. It's perfectly okay to have a game meant to be played through once. And actually, I think it makes a lot of sense for games, especially ones that are driven by a linear story. But if your game isn't as story-focused, and you're looking to squeeze in some more value for the content you have, making design choices and implementing things that make your game more replayable is a good strategy. It's one of those things that I sometimes talk about as a force multiplier. Something where the value you get is many times more than the work you put into it. I think this is why the roguelike genre has become so prevalent and why it's loved by indie devs and gamers alike. A roguelike is basically a game designed with replayability at its heart. It uses strategies that change up the content enough to where no two play sessions really feel the same, and it offers the player with lots of fun and replayable content because the game doesn't get stale quickly. Its value doesn't degrade at the same rate with each playthrough like it would for a linear game. And yeah, we're going to talk more about roguelites later in today's episode, but I wanted to just kind of do that intro and let you know that today is going to be focused around game design strategies that offer replayability. And hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll be able to use these strategies for your own games and make them more replayable if you so wish. First, let's start by identifying what makes a game not replayable. A game's replayability is determined by how much the content's value diminishes with subsequent playthroughs. 
Some games will lose a ton of value after you've already played it once, and again, this doesn't make them bad games, it's just that replayability wasn't made a priority for these games. Oftentimes, these games rely on a linear story and game design. Games designed around story set pieces and impactful moments, well, those moments won't be as impactful or as impressive the second time around. It's like that old saying about how you can never watch your favorite movie again for the first time. You only get that shock of finding out Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father once. Now, this doesn't mean that these games have no replayability at all. Some people will love them enough to go through the story again and look for little details and just squeeze everything out of the experience. When we design for replayability, all we're really doing is looking to cater to this second experience. And by second experience, I don't mean um, exclusively just the second time through. I just mean any experience after the first initial one. So I want you to think of replayability as more of a spectrum where we measure where the game is on the spectrum by the effort put towards catering these subsequent playthroughs. Let's get down to some actual strategies. The first idea I want to talk about is gameplay staleness. Gameplay staleness can be understood with the question, does anything change about how the game plays on other run-throughs? If everything is going to play the, exactly the same, then the content can only hope to be as good as it was the first time, but just again. And that's really the best case scenario. If there's nothing fresh or new, it can somewhat lessen the value of the content. However, if there are new twists and turns in the gameplay, then you can experience the original content in a new light. Player has the sense that they haven't seen everything already and can still have the joy of experiencing and learning new gameplay mechanics. Or just seeing remix and twists on old mechanics. You see this take form in some games as what's called a new game plus mechanic where when you beat the game, you're sent back to the beginning, but not with a new save file. You keep your progress and must beat the game again, this time with increased difficulty, new boss mechanics, or interesting twists. But remember, you get to keep all of the stuff that you've gotten in the game this far. This can be a really simple way to curate at least one additional playthrough of the game because it offers new scenarios for the player. For instance, how does the first boss battle play out when you have late game items and equipment? This is a question and an experience the player didn't get to see on their first run through. Another example of content that doesn't let the gameplay get stale is unlockable characters. This can create new experiences for the player, and sometimes they can be super simple. Like, even if it's just a sprite swap, it can be cool to see different characters interact with the environments you already know. This has been Luigi's role in a lot of Mario games. Luigi is nothing more than a color swap and sometimes slightly different mechanics, and yet he's a beloved character and changes things up just enough to make these games enjoyable for a second time. Adding unlockable characters is a way to get more value out of your content for your game, and it's one of those kind of easy things to do that essentially allows your player to replay the same game with a different lens. It's good for the dev because they can reuse content, and it's good for the player because they essentially get newer or remixed content. And yeah, I think unlockable characters are sort of a core strategy that you may want to consider when designing replayability of your game. 
but really adding anything you can to mix up the gameplay and provide new experiences or the old experiences with a new lens. Any way you can twist up subsequent playthroughs will boost replayability. Let's talk about another direction you might go when it comes to considering replayability. I want to talk about player mastery and challenge. For some people, mastering a game's mechanics is the reason they replay the game. This very much describes me as a player. I get a great deal of satisfaction out of improving my skill at a game. And you can see evidence that I'm not the only one with the rise of speedrunning, challenge runs, and esports. I would even go as far to say that with some competitive games, you get more value out of the content on future playthroughs than you do the first playthrough. This is because as your skill gets better, your ability to appreciate the original content in its full depth increases. So let's talk about how we might design game ideas that provide replayability through mastery and challenge. Well, I think there's one key idea to consider. That idea is that learning your own solution is at the core of satisfaction for challenging replayability. If you think about it, why do people throw themselves at an Elden Ring boss over and over? It's because with every death comes a little learning moment, and it's fun and compelling to test ideas and cement your knowledge. If in Elden Ring the boss fights came with a tutorial, or on-screen threat indicators, or maybe they were hard but only hard because they were quick-time events where the strategy was already determined for you, you just had to do the execution, that was the hard part, then I think the replayability of the boss fights would be diminished. Letting the player fail in Elden Ring and learn on their own terms contributes to a great deal of the replayability of the boss fights. It lets the player ask themselves, I wonder if I can do it this way. And this also leads to designing games in a way where the players can in fact overcome the challenge in multiple ways. And overcoming the challenges in multiple ways is core to replayability. So what's the big takeaway from this Elden Ring example? Well, I think it's when designing replayable games, we want to consider the methods of replayability through challenge and mastery. And whether this challenge comes from the game or competing with others, it's important for the game to allow the player to learn on their own terms and come up with varying solutions that the game allows. You want the player to ask the question, I wonder if I can do it this way. And you want to avoid making challenges that can only be done in one specific way. Um, the missions in GTA are a classic example of a challenge with low replayability. You basically have to do it the way the game wants you to do it, and once you've done it, there's no reason to go back and try it again. So yeah, I think you want to avoid that situation and leave the challenges open to multiple solutions. I wanted to jump back briefly to something that I mentioned earlier and present sort of a counterpoint. Earlier in the episode, I insinuated that story-focused games inherently have low replayability value. But I think I'd be doing a disservice to you by not mentioning through good game design, um, you can create story-driven games with replayability. Let's take a look at maybe the most glaring example, Dialogue Trees. Dialogue Trees are a narrative system where you get to pick what the character says in response to other characters in the game. It's a great example of offering narrative replayability. One of my favorite examples is the RPG 
Knights of the Old Republic. It's a Star Wars game where how you talk to other characters in the world really affects the story. And it's one where it's fun to do multiple playthroughs and say, okay, this time I'm going to be an absolute jerk and this time I'm going to be super nice and just to see where it leads. I think you could also probably group character customization in here as both a narrative and gameplay replayability feature. But all of this, I think, can be summarized as the ability to roleplay is actually a very effective replayability strategy. Because, again, you're taking some of the same content and giving the player a new lens to experience it through. So, if you're looking for ways to improve the replayability of your story game, maybe consider some roleplay elements like character customization and dialogue trees. Okay, let's jump over to an element of replayability that I think often gets overlooked. I'm not 100% sure what to call it. I suppose we can just classify it as creation tools. By creation tools, I guess I mean specifically where the players have access and ability to actually create experiences within the game. This could be something as simple as the building tools in Minecraft, or it could be full-on modding systems like in Warcraft 3. In both cases, I would say their inclusion significantly increased the replayability of the game. This is because doing this dramatically increases new or at least remixed content. It's probably almost cheating, including Warcraft 3 mods. If you think about it, it birthed a few games and genres that are popular to this day, so are they really replaying the game, or are they playing a different game with the framework you created? Either way, I think it's an extreme example, and if we look at something more like Minecraft, we can see how a very simple building tools can really open up the game to a lot of replayability. And I know I've talked about this before, but giving players tools that you've made yourself, like a level editor, can really extend the content and replayability of a game. The last thing I want to talk about today is I wanted to focus on the genre of roguelites and roguelikes and kind of pick apart what makes them so replayable. And I wanted to identify elements that could extend to any genre and maybe even implement in your games. Let's start with what a roguelike or roguelite even is. I know that's confusing, especially probably on audio. It sounds like I'm saying the same thing. Uh, that's rogue-like, like L-I-K-E, and rogue-light, like uh, it's not heavy. A rogue-like is a procedurally generated dungeon crawler with grid-based movement, turn-based combat, and permadeath, and you usually play it in runs where you see how far you can take your character before they die. It's called a rogue-like because it's named after one of the first prominent games in the genre called Rogue, which came out in 1980. Let's talk about the other and more popular at the moment term, Roguelite. A roguelite is typically a game that borrows a few ideas from roguelikes. They can be things like permadeath, run-based mechanics, or procedural generation, but it kind of modernizes the rest. Roguelite designs are super popular because they offer high amounts of replayability, and if you think about it as an indie dev, it's extremely difficult to even make 10 hours of a linear game content. But when you use elements of roguelites, you can make something that is replayable and extend that maybe even into hundreds of hours of content. I wanted to identify two key game design decisions that are present in many roguelites 
And it's what I think makes them replayable, and I think it's something that's easily adaptable to your games. The first decision is to include procedural generation and an element of randomness. I think it's pretty clear how this adds an element of replayability, and I even did a whole episode on procedural generation. It's episode 37 if you want to check it out. Anyways, procedural generation keeps the game from getting stale because every playthrough has an element of newness just based on statistics. It definitely has a diminishing returns in the long run uh, in terms of replayability, but it can really extend the content of a game. And in most cases, I think procedural generation is not too hard to implement um, in some kind of way for your game. A second thing that rogue lights do is that they designed from the start to be run-based games with their permadeath mechanics and game loops. It is assumed by both designers and players that the game is meant to be replayed. And as a designer, you can use this to your advantage. One trick is to drip feed new content with each new run. For instance, if you achieved a lot in this run, maybe you unlocked a new weapon that can spawn in subsequent runs. Maybe you unlocked a new character that can be used for future runs. Maybe there's new bosses or zones, things like that. Since you know the player will most likely be playing multiple runs, I wouldn't have all the content at the start be unlocked. I would drip feed it with their progress after each run, and this makes it feel like there's always a new experience. This is something that I think really ups the replay value. And I don't know if you've noticed yet or not, but the idea of rogue lights kind of combine everything that I've talked about thus far when making a game replayable. They remix the content by adding new stuff like unlockable characters, new weapons, and new bosses. They provide an element of challenge and learning, and some even have level editing and modding tools. In my and many others' opinions, Rogue Lights are the ultimate examples of games that are designed to be replayable, and I think that's why they're so prevalent today. So look and see if you can't squeeze in some of the Rogue Light mechanics into your game design, because if you can execute it correctly, it will give a lot of life, longevity, and replayability for your game. Let's briefly go over what we talked about today. Today's episode was about replayability. And remember that it's okay to make a game that isn't meant to be replayable, or a game where maybe replayability isn't a top priority. However, if you can make it work for your design, it is something that really ups the value of your game. The first strategy we talked about was catering to those who are going to replay the game in the first place. Remember, you can do this with new game plus modes, unlockable characters, or anything else that will allow someone to do the same content with a new lens. We also talked about keeping the game replayable through competition and challenge. Remember, it's fun to throw yourself at an Elden Ring boss over and over because you have the freedom to learn. You want the player to ask, I wonder if this will work. You don't want to have one solution so that once it's over, the player doesn't have to learn it anymore and doesn't really care. Remember that just because you're telling a linear story doesn't mean you can't have replayability. Giving the player roleplay options within the confines of your story is a good way to add elements of replayability. This can be done through character customization and dialogue trees. Giving players creative tools is another good way to ensure replayability. 
something as simple as being able to manipulate levels can go a long way. And lastly, if you're feeling a little bit lost or having trouble on how to adapt for replayability, there's no finer example than the current indie movement and its love for rogue lights. There are so many really smart design decisions that are making games extremely replayable in the indie sphere these days. So these are really good places to look and identify what might work for your games. Procedural generation and run-based game loops are two of my personal favorites. Anyways, that's going to do it for me. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to talk about it, you should go on over to the Game Dev Field Guide Community Discord. There's an invite link in the show notes. And use the episode discussion channel. Or you could always tweet me at underscore Zachavelli underscore. And remember, I'll be streaming myself making a game for Let em Dare the weekend of the April 1st. So yeah, if you have any free time uh, that weekend, you should stop by. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli, and remember to touch grace so you won't be maidenless. Mm-hmm.